Thank you. Please be seated. And as you turn in your Bibles to 1 John, um, allow me to squeeze in a few announcements. Um, first of all, um, we need to return greetings to our brethren uh, from um, Spain to take greetings from Kawada Baptist Church back to your own uh, people back home. Um, the appeal that you've made for missionaries to come to Spain is a dangerous one. Uh, <laughs> uh, my own church might become empty because everyone wants to be a missionary to Spain. I just don't find out what is motivating them. You may be disappointed. Uh, but thank you very much for visiting with us. Um, when the music ministry, um, the choir was singing that those who come after us should uh, indeed find that we are faithful, uh, my mind went back to the missions conference that came to an end last weekend, and uh, our brother um, Peter Joshua has since gone back to Nigeria. He must have left Thursday night into uh, Friday morning, um, the elders were mindful that we don't always have all our church members being present during a service, and consequently we uh, wanted to give the benefit to those of you who were unable to be with us last Sunday to still participate in the, the one-off um, pledge the one-off offering that we took towards the work of missions. And uh, this week we, we hope to have the opportunity to send you at least the percentage of uh, the membership that were present and participated, just so that you can see that we still have quite a number of you that were not present. And uh, that one-off pledge remains open to the end of this month. And so... Um, please, as and when the Lord blesses you, there is a box in the foyer uh, where you can put the money or if you have an envelope and you designate it as a one-off offering for missions. Remember the word one-off. That's the most important part. If you forget everything else and either drop it in that box or you can simply put it into the offering bag. As long as that one-off statement is there, the deacons will know that it's not meant for my salary. It's supposed to go to the work in Nigeria. And then as was announced in a fortnight's time, 13 days remaining now, the Zambian Baptist Historical Society will be having its annual general meeting. I was with the main speaker just two days ago. Uh, in, in uh, South Africa and he was just flowing uh, with what he wants to come and share with us. Uh, his main appeal is that churches do not lose your history. And he was talking about how he has uh, over the years, is the main archivist of the Baptist Union in South Africa. He's developed a simple outline and form that church members can use in order to preserve their history. And he hopes to come and share that with us. So if you are available uh, on the 24th of March, 
uh, please uh, do make yourself available there. We would appreciate knowing who you are. And so uh, call uh, Mr. Charles Botter, send an email to the office so that you are put on the list of uh, delegates. We will be approaching more of you if we do not fill the number. We have at least 40 seats available for Kabwata Baptist Church and we want to make sure that we fully utilize that. So if you are already keen and you are a, a sort of overzealous, we do want you to be there, but do not be surprised if you get a call from us. And then lastly, um, the next major item on our agenda is the Easter Evangelistic Week. It's coming up at the end of this month, and consequently ministries, uh, home cell groups. Let's take advantage of the fact that our nation will be thinking this time not so much about women, but about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we had a major weekend. I think we're still in it. Uh, our women folk, rural and urban. Uh, now, tomorrow it will be youths, and then very soon it will be our crucified Savior. So let's make sure we exploit that opportunity by having these various events. Our music ministry uh, will be having, will kick off the week uh, on uh, 24th as well, in the afternoon at 15 hours. And they're not so much inviting us, they expect us to be there. They're encouraging us to invite friends, invite relatives, um, participate when their poster comes out on social media to make sure that we multiply the effect and fill up this place uh, as they will be using song. Uh, to share the gospel with us. All right, so let's make sure we play our role. First John and chapter 5. First John and chapter 5. Thank you. First John chapter 5. And uh, we will read beginning with verse 6 up to verse 13. And as I read, I want you to notice the word testimony or some of your versions, it might be the word witness. So I just want you to notice how it comes up again and again and again. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. There it is. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. There it is again. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony, there it is, the third time, of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony, again there it is, in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, 
because he has not believed in, again, the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And here we have it once more in the passage we are considering this morning. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Well, brethren, I'm sure you'll notice we have been missing from this journey for a while now. I was looking at the last message I preached in this series and was at the end of November 2016. So at least over a year now, we have been in the theme or the topic of hypocrisy. The last time we were here, we were looking at... uh, the verses, verse 9 and verse 10, where God is, through John, appealing to us to use our brains to think about who we should really believe concerning the way of reconciliation with God, concerning the way of salvation. Because human beings have their opinion. They will share with us their own thoughts. And we're not wrong to listen to what they have to say. But we will have ourselves to blame if we prefer to believe them instead of believing the testimony that God himself has given concerning the way of salvation through his Son. This is what he said in those two verses. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Surely we ought to believe what God has said. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Can you believe that? It makes more sense to turn to a fellow human being and call that human being a liar. Because human beings are liars. But to sit there and, and, and conclude that, that God is the liar, That his word is not true. You will only have yourself to blame when God throws you in the hottest part of hell. Because you've insulted him in rejecting his testimony. Well, today we are continuing with this same testimony and witness of God that we must all believe. And we're looking at verse 11 and verse 12. And basically there what we have is the answer to the most basic question of all. How do I get eternal life? How do I obtain it? How can I even know right now that I have now been reconciled with God? That I'm now his child. How? 
Well, basically, the answer, if I could put it a little differently, is this. That it is not by works of the law. It's not by what you try to do. Rather, it is by believing in God's own Son. That's it. By trusting in God's own Son. That Jesus Christ has done it all. And that's what we find in these words, verse 11 and verse 12. And this is the testimony. This is what God himself has said. And what is that? That God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life life. Let's try and put it in question form. First of all, what is it that God has said in his word right across history, which he has consequently fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ into the world? What is it that he has been saying? Two things. And that's what we hear in verse 11. First of all, it is that he has given us eternal life as a gift. It's not something we work for. It is something that comes to us as a gift. And then the second is that it is given to us, it is packaged for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in him. And there it is again. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Let's think about that for a moment. First of all, the entire epistle of John hangs on this same issue of eternal life being tied up with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the second verse in this epistle and look at the second last verse in this epistle and you will notice that it's exactly that same message. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1 and let's read verse 1 and verse 2. First John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. The Bible says there, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now clearly he's referring to Jesus and he's referring to him as the word of life. But let's go on. Verse 2. The life was made manifest, was revealed to us. We've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you, not the word, but we proclaim to you the eternal life. So this word, referring to Jesus, has come, we've seen him, and who is he? He is eternal life itself. 
he seems to be saying here. To the end of the epistle. John, 1 John chapter 5. We will read the last two verses. The last two verses. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. In other words, we can now know him. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Again, John seems to to have this very clear identity that when you think about eternal life, you're thinking about Jesus Christ. When you think about Jesus Christ, you're thinking about eternal life. How, How do we understand that? Well, clearly, what the Apostle John has in mind is the reality of spiritual life that enables us to relate to God. So this is not just about life that is eternal, no beginning and no end, but it's an actual life, spiritual life that enables us to relate to God because it is His life. The Bible teaches that when sin came into the world, we died. And since then, we all come into the world already spiritually dead. Now, We have human life. And that's the reason why we are not decaying either in a mortuary or down the grave. But we do not have spiritual life. We have no connectivity with God. We are born dead. And so although we go to church and we go through the motions of church... We, we, we are not actually having dealings with the living God. We can't because there is a spiritual dimension, a life of God that we cannot relate to. And that's the reason why for a non-Christian, church is boring. Admit it. It's boring. You're not insulting me when you say this whole thing is boring. I wish I was home watching DSTV. You're simply being honest, truthful. Because you have more connectivity with uh, Barcelona (laughs) than you have with the living God. You are dead spiritually. You can't wait to, to get out there and, and as if you connect with, with physical things, with, with recreation and pleasures. You do not have the life of God 
in your soul. Now what we're being told here, when the Bible says that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son, is the fact that Jesus Christ, who is God the son, who has spiritual life, who has eternal life, has exchanged that life with our death. He is the immortal one who now dies. He takes our place. He takes our punishment. He pays our price. So that that life, that eternal life, that God-like life can now be given to us. That's what he has done. There has been a blessed exchange at Calvary. That life can now be ours through Jesus Christ, through his death. And hence, all the way from the beginning of this passage that we read, we're being told about various means through which this testimony has come. It has come through the Spirit. It has come through the water. It has come through the blood. It also comes to us in the believer's heart. In other words, the moment you believe, you too are able to testify that I have received this life. I am now in this God-given life, this divine life. That's what he's first of all telling us here. That this is the testimony of God. That it's not so much what you are trying to do to attain this life. That's impossible. Rather, it is that this life was already in God's Son. After all, he is God. He possesses eternal life. And now he has taken our place. He has died our death so that that life can now be freely, listen to me, freely given to you. Freely. Absolutely free. But here's the question. What's the implication of that with respect to the way of salvation? What's the major implication? John says there are two implications, opposite implications. The first one is this, that to possess eternal life, all you need is to have Jesus. That's all. It's not about how many times you go to church. It's not about baptism. It's not about obedience or disobedience. The major issue is whether you have Jesus or not. Look at the way he puts it at the beginning of verse 12. I mean, chapter 12, verse 12, the first part of it. 
Whoever has the Son has life. Now, that, that must be obvious, isn't it? That must be obvious. I mean, I'm carrying my wallet at the moment. Uh, it has no actual, well, there are a few uh, banknotes, but very few to get anyone excited. But my, my wallet has my bank cards, all of them. In other words, if you got my wallet, you would have complete access to all my money, assuming you could read my mind and figure out what my PIN numbers are. Here's the point. If you get my wallet, you have all my money. You don't need to go and rob the bank with an AK-47 with four of your friends standing outside and you are saying come on, get into that account Pastor Mbewa's account otherwise I blow off your brains you don't need all that just get my wallet and my PIN number that's all in other words with respect to eternal life don't start asking questions about should I be baptized and how often should I go to church and you know should I obey this commandment and that commandment and, and should I no 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 only one thing do you have Jesus that's all is he in your heart do you possess him is he a living reality to you? That's the issue. So what you need to be asking is this question. How can I possess the Lord Jesus in my life? Let's go, Let's go to the wallet. That's all you need to be thinking about. How can I get that thing out of that man's pocket at the back. I mean, he's, he's put it in a pocket, he's put his jacket around there, and probably even closed off a little button that's on top of the pocket. How, how do I get there? That's it. How do I get the pin? That's it. So the question is not how good should I be? But do I have Jesus? Now, why am I emphasizing this? I often find that when I'm speaking to people evangelistically, sharing the gospel, uh, that the, the answer I get maybe after a third or fourth visit is, you know, I, I'm getting there. That's what I hear. I'm, I'm getting there. Keep coming. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm better now. You can ask my wife or you can ask my husband. I'm, I'm getting somewhere. In fact, the last four weeks I've now been coming to church regularly. So keep coming. Well, friends, it's got nothing to do with keep coming. Or improved behavior. The question is, is he in or is he out? Do you have 
the son or don't you have the son? That's the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. So obviously we have the question, how do I have the son? Thankfully, the answer is there in John's own writings. The first one is the most well-known verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Remember that exchange? Okay? Giving in terms of handing him over to die to pay the price for our sin. He gave his only son. Here is the answer. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Will have the son. And consequently will have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. So how do I have the son? By believing in him. The verse we'll be looking at next week also says exactly the same thing. First John chapter 5 and verse 13. Let's go there. First John chapter 5 and verse 13. It says there, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you will have eternal life after you die. You have it now. You have it now. What did you do? You believed in the name of the Son of God. You entrusted your life into His hands. You put all your trust in His finished work. He died for me on the cross. Through his finished work, God pardons all my sin. The hymn that we'll be singing in closing uh, has a refrain at the end of every verse that says something like this. He that believeth on the Son, said he, hath everlasting life. He who believes on him, the Lord has said, hath everlasting life. Oh, glad message. Every child of God hath everlasting life. He that believeth all the good news shout hath everlasting life. It is simply believing. It's not running around this building ten times. It is believing. And when you believe, you have Christ in your life. And the consequence of having Christ in your life is exactly what you read there. You have, you possess eternal life. Again, I want to emphasize that. Because to many of us, eternal life is, is in the future. It's what's going to happen when you die. So our understanding is that all you have now is a title to that life, like, like a kind of baptismal certificate that you're hanging on to, so that you exchange on the judgment day with eternal life. No. What the Bible is saying is this, you actually have it. You have it now as a living reality. And the reason is simple. It's because it's life. 
It's spiritual life. It's divine life. It enables you to relate with the living God in the present, in the now. As the Lord himself puts it in John 5.24, we don't have time to get there. It is, you have passed from death to life. That's what has happened. You've passed from death to life. For those of you who are taking notes and I spoke too quickly, John 5.24, you can look at it later. You've passed from death to life. You possess this eternal life. You possess it. Friends, that's, that's what makes a Christian. People say, how will I know when the Lord has forgiven me? How will I know that he has now made me a child of God? Come on. Can a person fail to know when he's alive? Eh? Tell me. Can you fail to know you're alive? You're alive. Even if all that happened is that you, you fainted. Will, will you fail to, to realize when you have been revived? Do you sort of wake up and say, uh, am I alive? <laughs> That's exactly what happens when the Lord saves you. You know it. You can even jump into the air and say to your friends, I'm saved, I'm saved, hallelujah, I am now a child of God. And often people say, but how do you know, how do you know, eh? how do you know, you're just being proud. No! You've entered into a life of communion with the living God that you never knew before. Whoever has the Son has this life. It's real. Let me hurry on to the opposite implication because that's, that's a, a serious one. And it is this. That you can have a lot of things to your uh, as your credentials, a lot of things, religiously speaking. But if you do not have Jesus, you are still on your way to hell. Listen to this, verse twelve. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. First of all, because as I said, that's the way we are all born. We are all born dead, spiritually dead. We are all born without the Son of God. And consequently, we are all born without eternal life. Nobody is born a Christian. No one. Even if you are born to Christian parents. We are all born spiritually dead. Church going will not infuse life into you. It doesn't. Baptism does not infuse life into you. It doesn't. Participating in any form of church activities, including eating Lord's Supper, does not infuse spiritual life in you. It can't.
May I throw in altar calls as well? And sinners' prayers? All those do not infuse spiritual life into you. They make you religious, yes. But they don't. Even my prayers don't make you into a child of God and infuse spiritual life into you. They don't. And I say that because it's now become extremely popular. I almost said in the evangelical church, but I think we shouldn't call such churches evangelical. For people to have hands laid on them by the man of God and consequently they feel nice or maybe they feel goose pimples or something. And then they go home saying something has happened to me. Therefore, I must be a child of God. I want to repeat. All those things do not infuse spiritual life into you. There's not a single verse in the Bible, in the testimony of God, that suggests that. Nothing. There's only one. He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. You know, this is what explains the many fall aways from Christianity. Young people grow up in the church. They've gone through Sunday school. They've memorized all those verses. They've taken on the morality of their parents until it's now time to go to college or university. And they get there, and to their shock, they come face to face with individuals whose degrees are as long as the curtains behind me, and who say that God doesn't exist, that this Christianity is a white man's religion. It was just being used in order to colonize you. But the white man came with a gun in one hand and a Bible in the other. He gave you the gun and took away your land. Rather, he gave you his Bible and took away your land. And on and on and on. That in fact, we've evolved over millions and millions of years. That we're first of all amoebas, then we turned into amphibians and in due season, Sort of some kind of reptile, but not quite. Turned into a monkey over time. And then our tail has slowly been disappearing over millions of years. And our skull, which was looking a little out of shape, has now become more handsome and beautiful. And here we are now. What they never say, but I wish they could say, is that come a few more million years, we'll be flying just by going like that. They never quite get that far. People drink that in and abandon their Christianity. And we say they lost their salvation. What salvation did they lose? It was nothing but religion. Sincere religion, yes, but religion. They did not possess eternal life and too many people are in that category all they have is a form of religion and we need to realize this 
without the Son of God, you do not know life. You are still under the wrath of Almighty God and it is a matter of time you will sink deeper than the grave into the flames of hell. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3 where we have our famous text but the very last verse in that chapter. Listen to what he says there. John 3 and verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has life. Praise the Lord. We've seen that already. But listen to the next. Whoever does not obey the Son, that is by believing in Him, shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on Him. God's wrath remains on Him. With all the religious credentials of a Nicodemus who was a leader in Israel in the Supreme Court or the Parliament of Israel, he's saying to him, if you do not have me, Nicodemus, you are dead. You will not see life. And the wrath of God is still over your head. One day it will sink you deeper than the grave into the flames of hell. So friends, that answers the question. How do I get eternal life? How? It's not by coming to the front here. Or repeating a prayer that I'll give you. Or me laying my hands on you. Or putting you into the baptismal pool. It's none of those. It's none of those. It is this. By having Jesus Christ. That's all. And you have him when you trust in him. When you believe in him. And not so much by you doing works of the law. And thankfully, brethren, as we read uh, the last time, although it's over a year now, he says you have this testimony in you, this testimony in you, when you have done so. If we receive the testimony, oh, sorry, verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. In other words, you know, you know, you know, because the Spirit of God, whom He gives you, testifies in your heart that you are now a child of God. But more than that, you see, this divine life is transforming. It's transforming. You know, before you are a Christian, you say prayers. Eh? Because there's no reality. You're not, you're not conscious that you're speaking to somebody. So you, you say prayers. Father, what in heaven, hallowed be the name that kingdom come. Amen. You just say prayers. 
the, the way in which you, you, you speak to, to your dog out and it goes out and you think you are talking to when in actual fact just reading your emotions as a mm, here if I don't get lost it might be painful before long but you see when you become a Christian talking to God is real it's real you know, I, I personally can't understand a, pers- a Christian, a real Christian, who says, ah, you know, yesterday it was boring. Boring? Why? I know I was just alone at home. You were alone? Alone? I mean, a, a real Christian is willing to say, come on, guys, please go, go. Leave me with Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's sweet fellowship. When you're coming back, you're already back, you guys. Already back. Because there's ongoing fellowship in the soul with the Lord. It's very real. It's very real. Because it's divine life. Do you know that? Do you know that reality of being in communion, real communion with the living God? And therefore you know that when the time comes for you to die, you are going home to be with the one that you've been walking with in this life. You've been having communion with him. But let me go further. Because you know, there's a lie that the evil one repeats in our ears, or at least in our brains, to make us think that we are Christians when we are not. And it's this. Here you are, you know you are enslaved to sin. You know it. Even this past week, you know what your life has been like. And then, this is the way you conclude, well... Uh, it's just that I'm weak. That's all. I'm just weak. And then you add, I'm sure everybody else here, although they're looking like this, I'm sure they're just being hypocritical. We are all like this, actually, the way I am. That's the way everybody actually is. But they put up a good front. Or, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm weak, but we're still getting there. I mean, even in an aeroplane, there's business class and there's economy class. So me, I'm economy. But these spiritual giants, they are business class. So yes, yeah, they seem to be victorious. But me, I just have to sort of hide my, my sins. But finally, when we arrive, I mean, business class also arrives together with economy class. Here's my answer. It's a lie. It's a lie. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he transforms you. He fights against your darling sins and defeats them. Because he transforms your heart, 
he makes you an enemy of your own darling sins. You begin to fight them. You now have the divine life in you and it is a holy life. It's a holy seed that is in you. And consequently, you want to be holy. You want to be godly. And you don't need to have people around you peeping into your life, pushing you in that direction. You want to because it's the life of God at work within you. So here's my appeal. Don't believe the lie. If you are still in love with your sin, you don't have spiritual life yet. You are dead in your sins. Forget your religious credentials. You're still on your way to hell. And the one way out is to plead with the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who took your place, who died your death, to plead with him that he might save you, that he might come into your heart and into your life with the divine life that he brings so that he changes you from the inside out. I share this with you because that's where I once was. When I finished secondary school, I thought I was a Christian. I was at boarding school, and I came to dad's home. My elder sister had been converted just four months prior to my coming. And I've never forgotten thinking as we were now relating, that you know, while I'm trying to be something that I'm not, this lady is simply leaving out what she is. I've never forgotten that thought hitting me. That me, it's effort, effort to be something. For her, it's the rivers of life just flowing out. And I remember thinking to myself, I've missed the turning somewhere. Let me search again. Let me search again. And here's the good news. At the end of this month, 40-something years ago, I won't tell you how many there are, I knelt by my bedside and prayed to Christ and said, that Christianity is what I want. Save me. Save me now. It's now 40 years ago. Those who were thinking I'd drop off along the way have since given up. Because it's divine life. It's a well of living water flowing through. Friends, it wasn't that I was any better than you. I was as much a sinner, if not worse. 
but he that believeth in him hath everlasting life. It can be the same for you today. Amen.